The underlying current is to push us closer to Calvary and to linger there and live there. Because the further you drift from Calvary, the more worldly you get. The more carnal you are. The less power you have. The Holy Ghost doesn't work that far from Calvary. Hello, somebody. There's more power around the cross. Why don't everybody live there? Because it takes effort. It takes a want to. I've come to inspire you, preach you to the cross. Romans chapter 12. God bless you for being here. Amen. This is a great day. Verse 1. writer of Romans is admonishing us, challenging us, and he pins the words, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Somebody shout, my body. body. Holy, acceptable unto God. Not unto society, not under the fad, not unto culture, but unto God. Which is your reasonable service. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. I want to preach to you this morning on this thought. Godless and happy godless and happy. Heavenly Father, I come today with a burden in my spirit to preach to the body of believers that congregate here that somehow, God, we will live and reside at the base of Calvary regardless of what goes on in this world, regardless of the conversations in the break rooms, regardless of the natural earthly desires, but God, we would push through that and navigate through life to stay close to Calvary where the power resides and the anointing lives. Anoint our ears to hear a word from God this morning. Open up our hearts that we would know what thus saith the word of God and the voice of God. Let heaven touch earth and Temecula, I pray. In the name of Jesus, these things are so. And if you receive it, would you shout amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you for being here and God bless you for standing. You can be seated this morning. Godless and happy. Godless and happy. For the next few minutes, I will endeavor to peel back the purpose of my title. But I like the writer as he says, Beseech you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. And he goes on to qualify it holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In my brain, I kind of conclude the last few words, your reasonable service, as in that's the least you can do. That's the entry point. That's the lowest part of the, bo- of the bar. You can always do more, and it can always be greater, but this is the minimum that you can do is to present your body a living sacrifice. The ruins of an altar. Many altars over the years and in the Old Testament have been erected on high places. There are types of altars, altars to Baal that they would worship. 
altars to Molechs that they would worship, altars of Ashtoreth that they would worship, and even altars to Zeus. They would believe that these gods, some were gods of fertility, some were gods of children, but they would erect these altars, and they would become other gods and idols that they would follow and that they would look to and that they would believe in in their culture. And of my research, I found about 35 idols or gods that are listed in the Bible. It is also interesting to note that most of the larger cities had a numerous of gods they would call polytheism. For example, in the city of Athens, they had so many gods or idols in Acts chapter 17 and verse 16 that they even made a idol to the unknown God, Acts 17, 23, just in case they had missed any God. They didn't want any God, any idol to be left out. Paul uses the opportunity to tell them about the one true God of creation. There's only one God, and he has the power to set anybody free, and he has the power to liberate anybody that's shackled by sin and by these things of life that we live today. Thank God for that one true God. And so Paul articulates it in the Pauline epistles. He begins to describe to the church in Corinth, describes to the church in Ephesus, you see, the Apostle Paul is pinning words back to people that are saved. They're in churches. It's, it's post-Calvary. It's post the day of Pentecost. It's, it's post the resurrection. It's post-Easter. And these are people that are trying to figure it out now. They're trying to live for God. And so Paul uses these opportunities to remind them that there is only one true God. Altars are for sacrifices. You see, they not only set up idols on high places, but altars for every god. And every altar required a sacrifice. Maybe you may think this morning that the altars are gone and they live in ruins. My friend, that is simply not true today. The altars are very much here today, just as they were in their time of the idols and gods of their time. Whether or not people call them today in the 21st century gods that they worship, or gods or the idols that they serve, Idols do not change the fact that they were worshiping gods and serving idols. So here's my question to the church this morning. What is a god or an idol in the 21st century? How could the Old Testament phraseology and language be applicable to me today with new modern language? They have a dictionary and then they also now have an urban dictionary. Words and phrases that aren't in Webster's Dictionary. So how does this idols and this God situation work to where I am today? That's the question. And I think the simple answer that God showed me and gives me is simply this. What is a God or idol in the 21st century? The answer is whatever you put above anything else beyond God is your idol. Whatever is beyond the principles of the word of God. Whatever is beyond your relationship with God. Whatever is more valuable than the church of the living God. Whatever is more valuable than Calvary and where he sets you free and the, and the cross that came that day and the blood of Calvary that sh- came from the hillside to the valley. Whatever I put above that, then in the 21st century, that becomes my God and my idol. You see, today we don't talk about gods with a lowercase g. 
We don't talk about idols. Somebody might have an idol in a sports figure or in the music industry. You could have an idol. But that might be the extent of our conversating of an idol. But I want to preach to our church this morning about gods and idols that maybe we have erected in our busyness of life. Things that appeal to our flesh, things that appeal to our natural eyes or to our ears or an appetite to satisfy the flesh, which is carnality or self-will or iniquity. The problem with that is, my friend, is that what caused the problem in the Garden of Eden was iniquity. Iniquity is self-will. They willfully ate of the tree. They willfully took the fruit. They willfully did this. And if we're not careful in this society, society lowers the bar month after month and generation after generation. And if we're not careful, we have no absolutes and we have no parameters and we have no guardrails. And eventually, if we're not careful, there is no sin. So what is sin? Sin is anything that violates the principle of God. Sin is anything that separates you from God. The context of my message, an idol of God could be sin in someone's life. Whatever you serve, whatever you live for, whatever drives you to that, that is your idol. That is your God. Whatever your passion is, whatever you throw your money at, whether your idol be money or pleasure, success, beauty, comfort, power, possessions, a career, an object, a goal, or yourself. An idol, a God in the 21st century is whatever you put first and you serve. Simply, my friend, I'm telling you today as a Pentecostal pastor, then that becomes your idol. I've come to preach to the church today in this 21st century. We are apostolic and we are pure and we are holy and we are honorable in the sight of God. And if God's spirit is living inside of me, I cannot violate the temple of the Holy Ghost. I must present my body a living sacrifice, which is my reasonable service. Can someone put your hands together and shout an amen unto the Lord? Hey! So to that, I simply tell you I'm godless and happy. I want you to know the spelling of godless, though. It's a lowercase g. I'm idolless, if that's a word, and happy. God is the primary focus of my life. And I'm here to preach to us as a pastor that we've got to make sure that we live a life that's pleasing to God and not pleasing to us if it differs, not pleasing to the world if it differs, not pleasing to the conversations in the break room if it differs. If you want to experience the power of Pentecost and God has trusted you in your temple with his spirit, then we've got a mandate and an obligation according to the, war, the word of God to keep this thing holy, to keep this thing holy, to keep these eyes holy, to keep this mouth and ears holy. If God's going to flow through me like he did back in the old days, then what I can do is i got to keep some things holy and maybe Maybe it's time I assess what I'm doing and how I'm thinking and where I'm living and who I'm conversating. Hello, somebody. I'm preaching about godless and happy. I'm godless and I'm at peace with it. 
I'm godless and I'm powerful. Again, a lowercase g, I'm the godless. So I conclude, I'm not here to preach a message to upset you or provoke you. I'm not here to poke the bear. I'm just here to preach a message that a Pentecostal pastor has heard from God and an apostolic believer that sit in the pews and say, hey, I want to be ready when God comes. If I'm drifting off in any way, help me out. I want to walk on streets of gold. If I got to make a mid-course correction and it gets me back to heaven and on the straight and narrow, preach the word, pastor. Preach it with favor. Preach it here and let the word of God speak through the preaching. Ha! So yes... I want you all to be godless and happy. I want you all to experience the power of Pentecost in a daily lifestyle, not just when the worship team gets up here. Anybody can feel the power. An, a godly, ungodly person can feel the power. There's power in music. There's power in a beat. There's power in these things. There's power in lyrics. But when you get in the presence of an apostolic atmosphere and God begins to come forth with a worship and a praise unto the Holy of Holies and the Shekinah glory of God comes down and you become healed and you become restored and you begin to understand, hey, I've got hope and there's a purpose for my life. That's the power I'm talking about. So just make sure whatever you put first, you understand that's your God and that's your idol. And anything could be a God. Perhaps that's within itself, it's not a God or sin or it's not bad. But the invisible line is crossed when the thing or the things become more important than the true living God. There's an invisible line there. And we pass it accidentally, or maybe in some cases, we pass it intentionally. But I'm here to remind us, my friend, this is an apostolic church. There's a four foot by 12 foot sign on the I-15 that purposely, strategically says Pentecostal on it. Because there is a Pentecostal power that we reside in the house of God in Old Town Temecula. It changes life. It's a transformational gospel. You can hear the gospel today. You can be addicted and you can be racked with sin. But you can leave out a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. And your sins can be washed away with the power of baptism in Jesus. Jesus name and he can set you free with the infilling of the Holy Ghost but what happens in our life is for the Townsend that we have the Holy Ghost so long we forget where God brought us from and it becomes commonplace how many times has it happened you have something in your house and you just you walk by it every day and you don't notice it it's commonplace. And it's just there. It could be a picture on the wall. It could be a vase on the table with flowers. And you only notice it when someone comes over and says, hey, that's a nice family picture. And you haven't noticed it in months because it's commonplace. And if we're not careful, Brother Tim, that we can live our life with God that way. And Keith say, hey, there's power here. And there's an anointing and there's a liberating power. 
But the longer we get away from our conversion, if we're not careful, we forget exactly how powerful God was when I needed him in my time of desperate need. And that God set me free one time at a Pentecostal altar. I was on my knees and the Holy Ghost consumed me and we all stood up and became brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. And we were excited because we were destined to a devil's hell and we were going to be shipwrecked if something didn't happen and we didn't change in our life. And we understand the power of Pentecost because we can quote that and recite those times. But the more we get, Sister Rose, a little figuring this out and we get a little smarter and we get a little more uh, experience under our belt, we can get a little more on autopilot. And we say, hey, I don't do anything wrong. I don't break the Ten Commandments. Yeah, but you might have a God. You might have an idol. No, I don't, Pastor. Come look at my house. No, no, I'm not talking about those little tiki little hut guys that sit in your backyard in some Hawaiian theme. I'm not talking about those kind of idols. But you could be making decisions that inadvertently you could be letting in the windows, open the windows of those spirits and those gods and those idols. And then you're desperate why God's not doing something in your life. And you can't figure out why you don't have the power. And you can't figure out why you're still addicted. And you can't figure out why God won't heal you. And you can't figure out, and there's things in your life that you don't even notice anymore. Well, I come by this morning to tell you, you know what? I'm just strolling through your house. Hey, when did you get that? When, when did you start living like that? When did you make a change like that? When did you... And you have been living there so long like that you don't even notice it. And life seems normal, but really it's not completely normal because you don't have the power that you used to have. How many of us have been healed by God? How many of us have been set free? And we got up and we felt like we could take on the world. And if anybody needed healing, you know what? Hey, when my shadow passes over you, dear sister, you're going to be healed in Jesus' name. And with a boldness, we just walk around looking for the biggest shadow and say, and we think we're some super creature. We've got so far from that, you can't even hardly get yourself to church anymore. I'm a pastor. Do you mind if I preach a pastoral message? Isn't that what pastors do? I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a teacher. I'm a pastor. And it's my responsibility to keep us pointed towards Calvary. And it's the direction that we point is more important than the speed we're going. Some people could be sprinting towards Calvary. Some people could be walking. Some people could be crawling. But you better be pointed towards Calvary. Because that's where the power is. That's where the anointing is. That's where, hello, somebody. That's where, there's no gods at Calvary, lowercase g. There's no idols at Calvary. So again, let me just reiterate. Let me just, let me back up and give us a refresher. An idol or a God is anything that has taken the place of my relationship with God or that has become more important to God, to me, than what I used to feel about God. Hello? So there's something about the challenge to move forward. Long-term sustainable growth and relationship with God. But here's what we must always remember. Every God... And every idol has an altar. There's always an altar. And they always require a sacrifice. What starts out to be nice and cute and innocent grows up. And gets big. And conquers. 
and tries to defeat and commandeer what we used to thought was right and all the negative influences from society. If we're not careful, hear me as a pastor, if we're not careful, the negative influences and the idolatry and the humanistic thoughts in the world in which we live and where our kids go to school, that always tries to seep into the church. And every pastor and every pulpit worldwide has to stand and say, no, we cannot let that in the church. We're not letting darkness where light is. We're not letting immorality in here. We're not pulling back on these things. We're not loosening the screws here. No, this is the church of the living God. If the world goes that way, the church goes this way. The church doesn't move. The world moves. Hello now. It's not original with me, but you can see it on the screen there. That sin will take you further than you ever expected to go. It will keep you longer than you ever intended to stay. And it will cost you more than you ever expected to pay. That's what sin does. That's what little gods do. That's what idols do. Some of the gods and the idols will require the sacrifice of your peace. Every idol has an altar. An altar. An altar. An altar. An altar. An altar. Every idol has an altar. And there's a sacrifice. And you stay at that altar longer than you intended to stay. And if you're not careful, you're going to sacrifice your peace. Others will require the sacrifice of your health, your marriage, your time, your family, your integrity, your well-being. And the more you serve them, the more you must sacrifice. You see, here's the thing I'm preaching to you this morning, really, but... God also has an altar, and he requires a sacrifice. However, God's sacrifice of altar is not like any other gods you know. It's not like any other idols. You see, on all the other altars of this world, man sacrifices for his gods, lowercase g. But on God's altar, it is God who sacrifices himself for man. It is God himself who is the sacrifice. Not me, not my health, not my relationships with my children, not my marriage, not my mind. I'm not sacrificing none of that. But God sacrificed himself on his altar. Therefore, we must no longer sacrifice and give ourselves to any other God except for the one true God. God. He said, I am a jealous God, capital G. When you start serving other gods, lowercase g, you start having idols in your life. And he gave himself as the supreme ultimate sacrifice on Calvary that day. He says, I'm a jealous God. Don't do that. I went to Calvary for you. They'll they'll kill you. They'll chase you. They'll stalk you. You'll end in shipwreck. They'll grind you to powder. But I am the one true God. I sacrificed myself. Why? That you can have power and you can have a life that's more abundantly. I've come to give that to you. I'll take you out of darkness. I'll put you into my marvelous light. But please understand, you're going to sacrifice something on the altars of your gods. He's the one and only God who gave himself that sacrifices. John, you could come, but listen to me. Here's the mission this morning. 
Are there any idols or gods in your life? Anything that you're following above the one true God? Let me recap. An idol and a God is anything that you've put above your relationship with God. Anything that has arrested your affection, your attention, your passion, and has pulled it from God. That idol and that God requires a sacrifice and something gives. Something in your life will give. But on the altar of our mighty God, he was the sacrifice. He gave so that we don't have to give. We receive freely. It's called the new birth. It's the infilling of the spirit. Your sins are washed away under the name of Jesus. And you come up a brand new creature because of the sacrifice of the one true God. So you got the one true God here. And maybe you are manufacturing some other gods in your life, competing with the one true God. I get it. I mean, I am a jealous God. This is probably how God feels a little bit. My wife and I, we've been married a long time, but watch me. That's not even supposed to be funny. Pay attention. (laughs) And neither one of us are jealous people. But actually, there is a line that could be crossed that I could become jealous. And maybe if it's crossed too far, I could become aggressive. Maybe if it's crossed too far, I could be on live PD. Because at some point, I'm jealous. Whether she opened that door or he opened that door, that line was crossed. I don't really know where that line is because it's never happened in our whole marriage. Because you say, no, no. We're married. She's mine. And at some point, this little scrawny body grows muscles. (laughs) Are you trying to picture that or something? Does this help? I'm telling you, this looks like a straw with a suit on. Okay, I'm not. If you cross that line, this straw becomes the Hulk. And that's what God is saying. You know what? I love you. I set you free. Live a pure life. But if you start flirting with something else, or if they start flirting with you, if you maintain that relationship, I don't care who started it. And I don't care whose fault it is. God is saying, no. I went to Calvary. 
and you can't even present your life a living sacrifice? No, I'm, I'm jealous. And how many of you have watched all that cop junk and someone ends up murdered because of a jealous rage? It's called a love triangle. Here, here's a new word for you, a menage a trois, all you French buffs. It's a love triangle that went wrong. And God said, no, uh-uh. We're not going to do it this way. I'm jealous. If I'm your God, why is that your God? That doesn't give you power. That didn't go to Calvary. That didn't raise himself up three days later. No, no, no. And at some point, is it possible to upset God? Do jealous people get upset? I don't know, Grandma, but how many people are in jail today because of a jealous rage that they lost control and someone's deceased because somebody was doing something weird that they weren't supposed to do? Thankfully, Debbie, we're not living in the Old Testament because that's the way God used to do it, man. Boom! That's what you get. But we're living on the dispensation of grace and Brother Townsend, to some degree, people just pervert it. Oh, grace. Oh, God bless you. God loves you. God don't do nothing. Be careful. You were in grace, and I like the dispensation of grace, but I'm not going to pervert it and exploit it. If by chance I stumble inadvertently, accidentally, God's going to pick me back up, sister, and say, okay, it's okay. Don't do that again. My grace is sufficient for you. But don't be flirting with those other gods. I'm not going to put up with it. You get rid of those. I want your love and attention. I want your affection. I want your passion. I want. If you're going to be happy, you're going to have to be godless. He's jealous. And God's just coming to us today through him and I, our conversation this week. Say, excuse me, could you just tell them some of them are making me very jealous. And I don't really want to get their attention like I did in the Old Testament. No, no, let me do this, God, okay? No. You leave the Old Testament there and give me a chance. And I'm going to preach and we're going to fix it and we're going to live happily ever after. And I kind of felt it was like God said to Abraham, okay, go ahead. You can do it. So all I'm telling you, my friend, I'm very serious right now. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you, you got to get rid of your other gods. You got to go home and you got to smash some idols. And you got to take them out on the proverbial street and smash them into the curbing. And liberate yourself. And step back into the power of an apostolic believer that lives in holiness and purity and be godless and live outside condemnation. All sneakiness, all these three-way love affairs are all sneaky, right? 
I say right like I know. I just assume, I mean, right? And I hope you don't know either. But whenever you see these little exposés on TV, you know, got all these little guys, and they show all these things walking in, and they got proof. It's all sneaky stuff. But it comes to light. And when the mighty oak falls, it crushes everything beneath it. The kids are crushed. The career. How many politicians have ruined their political position because of indiscretions? And a spouse found out. Their district, their state found out. And, 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 you know, here's the term they use in the political field, in the news. This is amazing to me. They say, it was their fall from grace. Hey, don't steal our terms. Come up with your own language. Don't be dipping into our Bible. Oh, he fell from grace. He used to be the mayor of, he used to be the governor of, he fell from grace. She fell from grace. Funny, when they fall, they use our terms. God's just saying, hey, I want to be the only God in your life. I want your attention back. I want your energy. I want your passion. I want your excitement. Hey, give it to me. Get rid of those gods. And then you know what? The power that maybe you've been lacking or maybe the, just the disconnect in your spirit comes flooding back in because, hey, God, you're the only one true God. I'm willing to sacrifice for you. I'm not sacrificing for none of this because this will end up killing me, my family, my marriage. I'm refocusing my sacrifice. And I'm going to live godless. And I'm going to be more powerful and I'm going to be happier and I'm going to be at peace. And God's just reaching somebody this morning. I'm here to help. I'm here to guide you. I'm here to get us to heaven. But just occasionally, i got to preach a real pastor message and make us think again, make us assess, take inventory. I want you to have the spirit of the disciples at the Last Supper. One of you is going to betray me. Is it I, God? I'm not looking for people to leave the church. I just want you to say, God, is it I? Have I let other gods in my life? God, have I drifted off in my business and... I need a mid-course correction. I need a fresh anointing. Have I presented my body, my family, my home, my thoughts a living sacrifice? Are my actions a living sacrifice to you, God? Or am I so consumed by the 21st century and all I can do under the banner of grace and I've erred? The pendulum has swung too far and maybe I'm trying to pull some of the pendulums back in alignment. Praise God. I, I got to close. Stand with me. Let, let's just close this out. Search me, God. As David said, know my heart. If there be any wickedness in me, God, if there be any gods in me, if there will be any idols in me, as I look at who I am, God, if I zoom out, I open the aperture of my home and my marriage. What do I like doing? God, is that pleasing to you? I used to like doing church more, but God, I got busy. 
I don't want these gods. I want you, God. I want a fresh anointing. My strength from yesterday is gone. There's no black and white overt sin, but I think I got some little idols, God, that in my closet. I'm going to smash them. I'm going to break them. The message has provoked me to good works and has bringing me power that I thought I had, but I realize in the mirror, in the context of the message, maybe I got a few idols that, man, God, I, I, I just walked by that picture every day. I didn't even, I don't notice it until my friend came. Hey, watch this. At, at our house, we've been in our house almost two years. And Corey, there's a family picture in my office still on the floor that I've never hung for two years. But I don't notice it. Someone came over the other day and said, hey, you're, you didn't hang your picture? And of course, I'm such a genius. I said, no, that's an artsy look. That's supposed to be like that. You don't get art, man. You are out of touch. It's a little theatrical. But my point is, Chris, I never even noticed it wasn't hung. And it's in my office. I walk by it daily. But someone visiting noticed, why is your family picture on the floor? So how many of you have family pictures on the floor? And you can't say it's an artsy thing because I already took that one. You got to come up with your own lame excuse. But you see, God sees through that. Oh God, we're going to get that hung. My bad. Get it going, son. How many of you have family pictures in your life that are on the floor that you just live with? Heavenly Father, I pray today that your anointing spirit, God, would challenge us. As your word says, provoke us to good works, God, that we would align back to Calvary. And God, if we have a symbol of an army of gods, we come clean today. I know you're jealous, God. I don't want to provoke jealousy. But God, I'm smashing these idols and these gods today. And I'm coming back into alignment to walk in kingdom purpose. And I wondered why I wasn't living in the overflow, but I got a revelation during the preaching. I'm going to live in the overflow and I'm going to testify. And I'm realigning and repositioning myself today, God, by the power of the preaching. Speak to us, God. Enable us. Bring hope and possibilities to this church today. In the name of Jesus, I pray these prayers. My friend, I open the altars to you if you'd like to come and just have a conversation with God to get you godless. Come on. Hang that family picture. There's hooks on the back. It's not made to lean against the wall. There's another purpose. God, I need power. I want power. I'm tearing down and smashing idols and gods. It was fun. It wasn't harmful, God, but it it arrested my attention. It distracted me, God. It pulled me away from my original relationship, God. I'm I'm pointing back to Calvary. Here I come. Take me back. 
godless and happy. Yes, I am. Enable us, God, to get to that. My friend, there's room here. You want to be anointed? Find some place with God and have a conversation. Come on, we're smart. Let's look at the idols and gods. We know where they are. You can pray where you're standing. It's okay. But connect with the Spirit right now. The Holy Ghost is here. Ah. Come on, bring power, God. Restore that anointing. Restore that prophecy. Restore that ministry. Restore that love. Restore that confidence. I'm sorry. Forgive me. I'm tearing down and smashing idols and gods. God, I'm sorry. Reanoint me, God, with power. Reanoint me with the confidence of the Spirit of God. 